Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private, and I want to thank you for joining us. While it is important to continue to look forward over the next several quarters, with the number of COVID-19 cases continuing to rise, we are getting questions about the potential for a renewal of lockdowns and whether this could create an additional opportunity for gains for some of the stay-at-home stocks that have fared so well in the first half of the year. Some of these big winners included Clorox, Amazon, PayPal, Etsy, NVIDIA, Netflix, Teladoc, DocuSign, and of course, Zoom. What's most interesting is that all of these stocks played to a different audience, and yet the disruption to our daily lives was so significant that there was room for many companies to benefit from these lifestyle changes. Prices for these stocks moved significantly higher on sharply increased revenues, and valuations, which were already stretched for several of these stocks following the last several years of growth outperformance, became even loftier. As we outlined in last week's podcast on earnings expectations, it is this disconnect between valuations and fundamentals that has created questions about whether these stocks can continue to move higher and thrive in a still-changing environment. As much as it might be easy to assume that their revenues will continue to be outsized if there is a recommitment to social distancing and shelter-at-home mandates, in our opinion, that is a rather short-term view. Instead, as investors look at the rationale for buying or holding these names, perhaps the application of a different framework beyond just technicals and price ratios is in order. One of the ways that any company or industry can be viewed is through a lens known as Porter's Five Forces. The construct, which was introduced by Michael Porter 30 years ago, is a five-point framework designed to explain the sustainability of profitability for a given industry or company. The beauty of the five forces framework is that it's easy to understand, and in working through each of the five forces, one can yield a high-level view of the likelihood of a company's profitability to grow or shrink over time. In this podcast, I'm going to touch on each of the five forces and provide some examples to illustrate how to think about companies in this framework. While there are admittedly many facets to equity analysis, and this is in no way meant to be a reflection of the depth of research equity analysts and portfolio managers go through to select stocks, it is helpful in determining whether a company faces structural headwinds or tailwinds in their business overall. The first of these five forces is the threat of new entrants. This describes the need for economies of scale, large capital spend, distribution access, and brand loyalty to be successful in a given industry. This used to apply more broadly to capital-intensive or research and development-intensive industries such as airlines and pharmaceuticals, but in our assessment of companies which could continue to perform well, Amazon comes to mind. A new entrant would need to disrupt the massive brand loyalty, whether out of true love for Bezos or just necessity, as well as the ability to create a similar distribution network to what Amazon has paid handsomely for out of its free cash flow for the last several years. The idea behind shipping a wide variety of goods at a low to zero cost to the consumer seems simple enough, but the economies of scale built in this business are likely to create a competitive advantage for many years for Amazon. 
tack on AWS and their cloud computing reach, and it seems likely that Amazon is going to continue to grow and thrive over the next several years. The second of these five forces is the bargaining power of suppliers. From energy companies to consumer goods producers, the margins, and therefore the profitability, of their products hinges on the price that they pay for their inputs. Supply and demand and the relative scarcity of any particular input are difficult to overcome and are the reason that the competitive power of such groups as OPEC and agricultural cooperatives keep profitability low in certain sectors and industries. Another way that suppliers can maintain power over their customers is through innovation. Technology companies create things that only they are producing, and patent protection extends that pricing power to create the incentive for innovation. But that's another story. So as long as there is either no way to switch suppliers, OPEC at its height, for instance, was really the only game in town, or if there is a need to purchase an input that is highly specialized and unavailable from another supplier, a company is sometimes forced into a position whereby they have limited options. NVIDIA is this type of supplier. Its chips fuel the growing world of AI, and they have a head start on their competition, which creates pricing power not found in other parts of their industry. The third force is the bargaining power of buyers. This force is generally stronger in more positive economic environments, when consumers are very powerful and there are goods aplenty for them to choose from. A great example is the automobile industry. While car companies certainly command brand loyalty from their buyers, in the end, there are a lot of cars at different price points to choose from, and the buyer holds the upper hand. Car manufacturers are forced to continue to innovate and offer better features at more attractive price points in order to capture and maintain their share of the market. The fourth force to consider is the threat of substitutes. This is the factor that creates the most concern for the massive rise in the use of dedicated services such as Zoom and DocuSign. Currently, there are few substitutes, given the impediments on mobility and the stance taken by many corporations that in-person meetings and travel are deemed too risky given the current environment. However, in a more normalized environment, these companies were working hard to differentiate their services against the backdrop of a less complex alternative, namely in-person meetings and the ease of signing with a pen and paper. There are many who would say that these are inferior substitutes from a time, cost, and environmental perspective, but they are substitutes nonetheless. As such, there could be continued downward pressure on the pricing that Zoom and DocuSign are able to command for their services. Finally, there is rivalry among existing competitors. Netflix was a dominant brand for years in the content delivery space because the company continued to innovate and find ways to grow its subscribers and footprint through its platform and then through the addition of original content. While Netflix benefited from the recent return to prominence due to the pandemic, the stock suffered much of last year as rivals adopted its approach to streaming content. 
This created a scenario by which consumers were forced to consider the quality, depth, and breadth of the content available on all of these streaming platforms. While this competition is a boon for consumers, it will force Netflix to pay more and more for expensive content and advertising to maintain and grow its subscriber base, creating a different challenge for management than the one that they have had over the last several years. So how does one incorporate all of that into an investment thesis? All of these forces eventually impact profitability and in turn, a firm's competitive advantage. Investors should want to own companies that have the ability to grow their business over time and make money for investors in turn. Valuations and technical analysis can help to provide context for when to buy or sell a stock and the evaluation of economic variables can allow an investor to handicap if any of the above forces would be more or less impacted by changes in the economy. However, what this framework provides is a great start to creating a narrative about why you own a stock in a company or an industry and allow you to differentiate between a fleeting fad and a sustainable long-term business worthy of owning past this pandemic. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of you to reach out to our team here at Boston Private with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as a trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives on the markets, the economy, taxes, estate planning, and a variety of other topics by visiting bostonprivate.com. If you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up on our website for all of these newsletters. And be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you prefer to listen. And I look forward to coming to you again next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions, and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.